Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Not Your African Cliché. Before we get into today's episode though, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, where we are Not Your African Cliché, as well as SoundCloud, where we are NYAC Podcast. Don't forget to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, we are Not Your African Cliché, Twitter, at NYAC Podcast, and Instagram, NYAC underscore podcast. You can also email us at notyourafricancliche at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. My name is Onyeka, a.k.a. Yeka O, and today we are joined by a guest, but before my guest tells you who my guest is, I'm trying to like not to reveal the agenda of my guest, um, <laughs> the ladies will tell you who they are, remind you who they are. Hey everyone, this is Ify. Awesome. Um, so today we have a very special guest on today's episode. I'm actually really, really excited about this guest. Um, so guest, can you tell the people who you are, you know, what you do, just general descriptors? Uh, okay. So hi, uh, my name is Chike, Chike Okebu. Um, what else? What else do you want from me? <laughs> I, I guess people are about to find out. So, so Chike, um, what do you do? Um, what are you mostly known for these days? Okay. Um, so I run a tech accelerator in New York called Startup 52. Um, I also, apparently, the youngest black person to run for president. Come on, Jesus. Um, you know, uh, just just came up. <laughs> Came over the presidential elections in Nigeria a couple months ago. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's about it. Nice. Well, welcome. Welcome to the to the podcast. Um, Thank you for having me. I think this is going to be a fun one. So I was doing a little snooping around Chike. And before you started your tech accelerator, for some reason, you were in biomedical engineering, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what, what happened? What was the journey? How did you get there? <laughs> Um, okay. Do you want me to take it all the way back? Yes, yes right. we, ha- okay. we have all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, um, uh, my parents actually let me come to the U.S. because we had negotiated that I'll study engineering and then go to medical school, right? Mm. Um, so I came, when I came, I started off as electrical engineering. I did that for one semester, at City College, and then switched to biomedical because in my head, I thought it was a good, you know, um, compromise between engineering, which I loved, Mm -hmm. and medicine, which they wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but somehow I fell in love with biomedical engineering, um, partly because um, I, I had gone into, or rather my area of concentration was in designing uh, artificial limbs, so... I did a lot of research on artificial heart. Um, my senior design project was on designing a hip replacement prosthesis, um, all of that. So I really enjoyed it. Um, but um, I think in my sophomore year, I had gotten into this fellowship, Colin Powell Leadership uh, Fellowship on Public Policy. 
I was a three-year fellowship and had decided to focus on youth disconnection as my research area. Uh, so when I graduated, um, I had the option of moving down to Jacksonville, Florida uh, to take on a biomedical engineering job or, you know, stay back in New York and teach at City College. Um, I, I chose to teach. Um, partly because I had become so passionate about my research. Um, I wanted to do a lot more in empowering what I called uh, invisible communities or disconnected youth at the time. And being in Harlem gave me the room to do that. So I went into teaching 9 to 12 or 6 to 9. And then I had the rest of the day to work on a nonprofit that I co-founded. So, hmm. um, you know, one thing led to another and another and another. And then I ended up you know, with Startup 52. So, yeah. So what's this one thing led to another? Because we, <laughs> we, we kind of have time, you know. Because, I mean, I think a lot of okay. our listeners, um, you know, a lot of people are transitioning mm-hmm. or kind of thinking about, like, you know, do right. I want to take this next step? So any information you can provide would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I began teaching, I ended up teaching math for seven years at City College uh, from 2008 to 2015. Um, we had co-founded ReLife. ReLife Incorporated was the nonprofit um, whose mission was, of course, or is, you know, to empower disconnected and at-risk youth through tech education and entrepreneurship. Um, so we did that in 2009. Uh, we incorporated in 2010. So we ran this for a couple of years. Um, and what we realized was... <clears throat> That for many of these young kids who were either foster care, formerly incarcerated, homeless youth, you know, victims of domestic abuse and all that stuff, uh, for many of them, all they lacked was just opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Um, we we felt that the 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 band aid solutions of um, you know GED helping them get their GED and or placing them in menial jobs mm-hmm. were not good enough, did not go as far as changing, you know, um, outcomes, possible outcomes for them. Uh, For many of them, you know, or rather for many of the nonprofits that were focused on this demographic, um, they were restricted by, you know, funding requirements. So for them, it was all about how many kids can you get their GEDs or how many can you place in jobs? But nobody really cared about how many of them actually retained the jobs, yeah. you know, or how many of them went on to colleges. Uh, so for us, it was taking on what their passions and their interests were and helping them to create, you know, viable small businesses um, from those passions, uh, which is where entrepreneurship comes to play. Um, education, on the other hand, we realize is extremely important, you know, being a person of color in America, you definitely know that you need an education, whether you use it or not. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was try to find that confluence between their passions and being able to turn that into, um, um, you know, viable businesses, as well as making sure that they had at least the minimum requirement, educational requirement um, to at least get into a community college or, you know, four-year college. Um so it was um, real life for me, I, I think, uh, I still say, was that turning point was what helped me discover the things that I was passionate about. Mm. Um, 
But then what happened was um, we, we ran a three or four month program for them. And after this, they were required to actually have a, a small business, to have launched a small business to graduate. But after the program, though, these young kids were still coming back around hmm. uh, because they needed the support, they needed resources, they needed, you know, the mentorship and all that to sustain these small businesses. Um, so um, in trying to create a follow-on program, you know, to that, I discovered, um, you know, acceleration, acceleration programs. Um, and for me at the time as well, um, I was, I would say, excited about what I was doing, but felt like I was not really using my tech background uh, to do the things that I loved, which was empower people through education and entrepreneurship. So our question was, well, how do we teach these young people um, also how to not just, you know, stop at small businesses, but maybe... Uh, see if we can turn them into viable startup businesses. And that was actually how technology came in. Um, but during that research, what we found out was there were many other people who were highly educated, who had brilliant ideas, um, but did not have the access to resources or to capital or to a support system uh, to help them start or launch startups. And so the... The follow-on program we decided to start for these young people ended up muffing itself into what we now call Startup 52. Um, and by then, I was already passionate about diversity and inclusion and equity and all that stuff, and that's a whole different topic. <laughs> um, but um, we looked around and realized that there were actually no diversity-focused tech accelerators um, in the country at the time. Uh, there was one in Silicon Valley, uh, I don't remember what it's called now, but they were just focused on black um, mm. black founders and then black and Latino founders. But uh, diversity, the way we define it, there was nothing like that. So we saw an opportunity. And of course, I ended up launching Startup 52 here in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, uh, just helping... You know, teams to understand the importance of diversity and of course making people know that if you have a team of four black men it's not a diverse team it's mm -hmm. just a team of four black men right uh, so today when you talk about diversity and inclusion the first thing people think about is oh women or people of color mm -hmm. right um, and I'm like well it's a little bit more than that so for instance in a place like Nigeria they will tell you well we're all black people right mm -hmm. Uh, so how how is diversity applicable applicable and then right. you start to see that there's so many nuances to it you know there's religion there's mm -hmm. you know sexuality there's ageism there, there's so much mm -hmm. to you know the spectrum of diversity so what we say is you know for you to leverage on the benefits of diversity which is profitable which drives innovation which is successful um, and also, more importantly, it humanizes us. That's what I tell people. When you, when you work with people who have different perspectives or different backgrounds, um, you tend to learn a little bit more from them. Um, you guys can collaborate in making sure that your blind spots um, mm -hmm. are covered. Um, so, uh, so for me, it, it made sense. It, it was just business-wise. I mean, I tell people I'm an Igbo man, and you know when it comes to money. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's usually priority wow. for us. So when we tell you this thing works, believe it, <laughs> you know. Um, so for me, it was that. It was one, being profitable, but also creating opportunities for people who lacked access mm-hmm. to gain access into um, venture capital and into the tech space. Uh, yeah, so that's a perfect segue because at this point we'll talk about, so what was it that made you decide, you know what, I want to go into politics mm-hmm. and I want to become the president of the Federal Republic of Nigeria? Okay. Um, so it's actually Nigeria in 2015, um, right before the elections. And um, prior to that, I had never been, you know, interested in politics at all. Uh, partly because my father ran for governor when I was nine, ten, and we hated the experience. Mm-hmm. One, it was on my birthday, June twelfth. Um, so I didn't get a celebration. I didn't get a birthday celebration that year because Abiola lost or Abiola, whatever, was stripped off of him. Um, so and my mom completely hates politics or hated politics. So we all kind of took after that. Um, but in 2015, when I was in Nigeria, this was the election between Jonathan and Buhari. And I just didn't understand why a nation with more than half the population under 40 um, did not have or did not find it within themselves to find someone who was young enough to be a viable candidate against Jonathan since they said they didn't like him. Mm-hmm. I, didn't un- I didn't understand why Buhari was our most viable um, candidate. Someone who had been a military dictator, um, someone who was really old, um, someone who definitely had proven was out of touch, you know, with mm-hmm. um, but the country and where the nation needed to go. Um so that experience was when I asked questions and, you know, I wasn't really getting any good responses. I decided, well, you know, for the next election, I was going to play my part. But the part I was looking to play was, you know, find a better candidate and help them build out a tech platform, right? Mm. The tech and the policy, whatever for them. So in 2017, I kind of started looking, you know, very, you know, um, unconsciously, I would say. I started looking around, just listening to, you know, hear what people were saying, who was running, all that. Um, by 2018, February, um, I had spoken at um, Columbia University, the African Economic Forum or Conference, something like that. And there was this man who spoke as well and declared he was running for president, uh, Kinsley Moalu. So I went back, I looked him up, you know, I'm like, okay, I like, you know, his background, Uh, at least he's a technocrat, blah, blah, blah. Uh, There were a few things that, you know, kind of gave me a little worry, but like, he's better than Buhari, definitely. Um, So I reached out to his campaign, but got no response. Hmm. Um, So sometime in April, um, I had gone to speak at the U.S. Nigerian Investment Summit in D.C., and um, there were there was a delegation from Nigeria, delegation of about fifty people or so, and you know, just just with every event, you get to meet people, you talk, whatever. 
So I, I struck up a conversation with this young gentleman from Lagos, who was from the Lagos uh, uh, delegation. Um, and that was that. When I got back to New York, uh, he had sent me a message. Hey, they're, they're in New York on their way back to Nigeria. He wanted to meet. He, he runs a startup in Nigeria and kind of, you know, wanted some, you know, insights into how to approach investors and all that stuff. So we met. Uh, this was April 20, 25th last year. Uh, we met at WeWork. It was him, myself, and three of my other Nigerian friends. And, you know, as normal Nigerians do, politics came up. And, mm. you know, we started talking about politics and the candidates. I'm like, you know, um, I've actually researched a couple of people who have declared. And right now, this is the only person that I'm kind of feeling a little bit. And he goes, well, honestly, he thinks Buhari is going to win again. He doesn't think any of them you know, have what it takes. Um, so we started asking why, and it turned out he'd been, he'd been a political strategist in the past, and he goes, listen, with many of these people, all they do is declare. They usually have no agenda. Uh, mm. They come to people like us, and we do everything for them. Mm -hmm. So we craft a message, blah, 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 everything. You know, we put up their manifesto. We write the entire manifesto. They know nothing about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're like, you know, this is really sad, you know, um, and we talked about, I mean, being in tech. So part of my concern was, I'd say every year we get applications from over 70 countries of people who try to get into Accelerator. Um, and, and part of what was troubling to me, um, was the fact that most of the applications from Africa were on average between 10 and 20 years behind the rest of the world. Mm. Um, and for me, that was extremely troubling um, because we also started to find data that showed that those who were coding artificial intelligence and machine learning languages uh, were doing it with their biases. Um, so the mm. fear was that we were walking into this dystopian future where uh, I mean, right now, people of African descent are most vulnerable to discrimination worldwide. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine walking into a future where we're not just now vulnerable to just human racism, right, but right. also machine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm like, that's that's a future that wipes us all out, mm -hmm. especially considering the fact that Africa has the youngest and fastest growing population. Right. Uh, so with this youth population that is uneducated, unprepared, unskilled on everything. Um, we're just setting ourselves up for, you know, slavery 2.0. Um, so when we talked about <clears throat> some of those things and why those issues were extremely troubling, uh, he goes, um, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to meet with you was, you know, I looked at, after we met, I went back, I looked at your LinkedIn and I, I looked you up and blah, 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 blah. And I think you have a message that will resonate with young people about where the country and the continent needs to go. Um, I think you should run. I'm like, this dude is crazy. So we laughed about it. And he goes, no, I'm serious. <laughs> um, so I go, well, I, I don't even think I'm old enough. I don't even think I have the requirements. He goes, well, how old are you? I'm like, well, I'm 34. I'll be turning 35 in June. He goes, you will be right there. Um, because there's a bill in the house. Uh, it's called the Not Too Young to Run bill. 
um, that has, you know, passed the Congress, both the House and the Senate. And, um, you know, the president is definitely going to sign it because he went to England and called Nigerian youths lazy. So he's mm-hmm. trying to do something um, to appease the young people so that he doesn't lose the votes. Um, so if he signs that, it qualifies you to run. I'm like, well, I'll have to think about it, you know. And he goes, well, think about it, but I think, you know, uh, now is the time and you should really do it. Um, so I said, okay. So I went back, you know, I called my brother. My older brother is the only one of my siblings, the only sibling in Nigeria. So I told him. He thought it was a joke. We laughed about it. Um, the other, th- <laughs> the other thing is, he's also he, he was a good friend of Fela Durotoye. So, and in fact, they had approached him to help, um, or at least he was considering helping them in Apia State. Um, <clears throat> so I called the guy. I said, you know what? You know, after thinking about it, I think twenty twenty three would be a better time mm-hmm. um, because it gives me four years to prepare and da 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 da. He goes, well, I don't think so. He goes, actually, even if you wouldn't do it four years from now, now is the time to get your name on the national stage. Uh, I said, listen, I wouldn't want to do it if I don't think I can win, right? Mm -hmm. So unless we have a real strategy of winning, Mm. um, I'm not just going to... Politics in Nigeria is dangerous. Right. (laughs) He goes, well, you know, if you wouldn't, if you have, have you thought about maybe gubernatorial or mm-hmm. I say hell no local <laughs> politics is even worse <laughs> they'll kill you in a heartbeat mm. yeah um so and, and I'm like well the other thing is the sort of problems we're talking about it for Nigeria now um the changes need to happen at the top and Osibanjo was our our uh, reason for saying that mm. um we're like honestly at the time, at least, we said Osibanjo is the best president Nigeria never had um, <laughs> because he had a way of accomplishing more in two or three weeks when the president is not in the country mm-hmm. than they do in two years when the president is around. Um, so the, the point is not about having, you know, brilliant ideas, is making sure that the head is right. So if mm-hmm. the head is not right, it affects the entire body. Um so I said, okay, I'm going to do a lot more research, um, talk to my siblings. Um, and then I set some milestones. I said, well, a few things. One, my mom hates politics. Um, and I know she would definitely be opposed to this. So if she says no, that's it, right? Um, so I spoke to my dad. He is like, uh, he paused. I was hoping the man would say no because he's run for governor before and he saw the hell he went through. Mm-hmm. He goes, you know, I, I, I think, um, I think your friend is right. Um, there are four things though that you'd have to take care of, like you know, money, security, marriage, and I don't remember the last one. I said, well, you know, um, he says, oh, so it means you need to get married before October, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> you know Nigeria. I said. <laughs> I said, Dad, leave that alone. We'll deal with that. <laughs> he goes, oh, okay, no, the fourth one was my mom. He goes, mm. you know, your mother is the reason why I lost the election. Eh? Because 
She was very openly and vehemently opposed to my candidacy because she hated politics. Oh, wow. So if you can get through your mother, then I think your battle is 90% done. Hmm. I said, okay, he goes, well, on the other hand, I could tell her, um, I've lived with this woman for 40 years, so, um, you know, I could ease her into it and whatever hell she would give, you, I can, you know, at first I said, okay, 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 fine. Let me tell my sibling, I asked him, give me two weeks. Um, I was doing a couple, I was doing some research. Um, after that, I'll let him know if it's a go or not. So what I did during those two weeks, which ended up becoming three, was um, I looked up all the other candidates. At the time, there were 21 of them. Um, every single YouTube video they had out, every single document they had out, um, did a lot, a lot more research on the problems we had. Um, in fact, I ended up writing an eight-page letter to myself as to why it was important um, to do this now. Um, and then, I've, of course, you know, in my background as well as a Christian, you know, that was significant as well in you know, praying and making sure that you, you, that it was right. It was the right time. Yeah, so for me, the three things that I focused on, which is the three things I had worked on the entire time, education, entrepreneurship, and technology, <clears throat> I still believe are the three most crucial um, um, pillars uh, to solving our problems, not just in Nigeria, but Africa as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm. all of those reasons, and then the fact that um, there was this disconnect between the diaspora and back home. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I think. That's... Sorry, yeah. that was that was actually like the question that I was trying to. I was mm. actually waiting to get to mm. is you know obviously as someone who you know with your resume and all the things that you talked about with Starter Fifty Two and all these things that you've done, um, mm. they were all mostly done here in the United States, right? And some people would say, you know, you're in the diaspora, you don't really know um, the inner workings of what's going on in Nigeria. Um, And even going on your website, you know, there are three things that caught my attention, but one that I'll address right now is, um, I think there's a part where like, you almost have like a a statement of recommendations, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. from different people, you know, just I guess, I don't know, like a vote of confidence type thing. Um, and majority, if not all of those people were people who were based in the diaspora. Um, they weren't people who were based in Nigeria, people who could speak to, um, you know, work that you've done in Nigeria, which I know that you have done some work in Nigeria. Um, so how do you, how do you respond to people who say, "Mm, you're, you're from the diaspora. You don't really, really know what's going on. Yeah, okay. So initially, that was a bone of contention between, uh, in my campaign, actually. Some people said, you need to become more Nigerian. Other people said, no, what's working for you is the fact that you've been outside. So don't, you know, compromise on that. So it was a big mm-hmm. thing. Um, and at, at at some point, we ended up finding the, the I guess, you know, the nice compromise mix, whatever. Um, so I think for me, it was important to let people know that I am Nigerian. In fact, the funny thing initially after the CNN interview, you see all these comments online. My Uh siblings were so surprised why I would just laugh at them. People arguing that I wasn't even Nigerian. 
Mm-hmm. That oh my, no 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 it's almost like I am telling you this one is I, I had to ask him bros I beg now you hold my bedside <laughs> <laughs> you know it was all yeah. this craziness online so um I, I, which was why it was important to let people know hey you know I was born in Oweri in fact mm. give them the name of the hospital mm-hmm. you know and I I spent the first nineteen years of my life in Nigeria I went mm-hmm. through pretty much all of the, you know, educational institutions from mm-hmm. nursery to primary to secondary to yeah. university mm-hmm. in Nigeria before coming out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. My parents are civil servants, so I saw it all. I saw poverty, I saw, you know, hunger, I saw you know, the no NEPA, everything. Mm-hmm. If it's the language, I got A1 in Igbo, I can mm-hmm. speak it, I can write it, I can read it, yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was important to show that part, mm-hmm. but also make people understand that part of you, you, the problem we have in Nigeria today is the fact that many of the people at home or many of the people trying to solve our problems are also people who um, the system has, cult- has cultivated, right? So their blind spots are almost all the same, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'll give you an example. My brother and I went to an estate, a luxury estate in Lagos, right? Um, and he he was so excited to tell me that in the estate, they're guaranteed power 16 hours a day. I'm like, wait, what happened to the other eight? If I'm paying you for luxury, it better be 24 hours. Mm. Um, so I'm like, for, for you to be excited about less than 70% of power in a day, mm. that shows some of the... And, and my brother is very well educated, is very well, like, all of that stuff. You know, and I'm like saying, okay, fine. Part of the problem is many of us back home don't even fully understand what it what quality of life means mm-hmm. right um so healthcare is a right even though america would not agree um you know education clean water um power to some extent you know all of that like how do we make sure that we can make some of these things available to every single nigerian without some people feeling they're more important than other people mm-hmm. um so it was, uh, and, and for me, some of these perspectives, you know, I gained from living outside, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the work that I also did in Nigeria, I was able to do because of some of the resources that I have available to me mm-hmm. out here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was being able to show that solving the problems of Nigeria would have to be a collaborative effort between those at home who are mm-hmm. experiencing the problem firsthand and those of us in the diaspora who have seen a different perspective and can contribute um, effectively to the solutions that we need at home. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so the, the importance of bridging that divide, <clears throat> the gap between the solutions that those outside come up with and those at home uh, is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that was some of the things. And in fact, it actually showed, like when we talked about solutions, I think one of the things that I know that I would say, okay, um, I enjoyed was international international press. So I got mm-hmm. more international press outside than at home. Um, mm-hmm. 
And it was partly because we looked at the problems from different perspectives and came up with different solutions to some of the problems that at home we think are imminent, right? So mm-hmm. we talked about the Fulani Hertzman solution, um, even power. Like we came up with very innovative and different ways to look at these problems or in understanding the root causes of the problems and ad- addressing them there mm-hmm. as opposed to, okay, let's just give this Fulani Hertzman 100 billion naira for them right. to go away. Mm-hmm. The money is going yeah. to finish one day and they will come back for more. <laughs> yep. You know, yeah. or they use the money to equip themselves to be exactly. a stronger army against exactly. you, right? So yeah. um So the multi-million dollar question, GK, mm-hmm. um, is given, you know, the experience that you've encountered, right? Mm-hmm. Running for presidency, um, mm-hmm. in addition to like what this has taught you about Nigeria itself and its people and yourself, I'm guessing, because I don't think you can yep. come out of this experience mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not changed. Jesus. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, will you, would you do this again? And can you just briefly talk about like, what are some things about yourself that this experience has like taught you that you didn't know about yourself before? Um, resilience. I thought I was strong, but Jesus. <laughs> hey. There were days, I mean, so people said, uh, a friend of mine was like, the one thing we missed from you on the trail was, you know, you not giving us updates every day about how things were going, right? We saw the interviews and all that, but we didn't really, I said, listen, that's because every day you get home to put your head on the bed, you were thankful for. Mm. Like you had a whole different um, appreciation for life, right? Mm. Because I didn't walk around with security, um at all um honestly the fact that this is the first interview i'm doing since after the election Mm -hmm. um i thought that i have come to the place where i've been able to process everything i don't even think i have Mm -hmm. right um but one there was so many there's so many things we believe about ourselves that i don't think is very right so for instance um i got more votes in the north than in the south right Hmm. Um, I got a better reception in the North than in the South. Why do you think um, that is? So I think, we, once again, back home, um, we have this, we're always trying to fight someone. We're always trying to fight something. Uh-huh. Right? So it's, if it's not the Igbos against the Hausas, mm-hmm. it's the Christians against the Muslims. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, this against that, right? Uh, the same thing they will tell you, Godfatherism, well, you mm-hmm. can't solve the problem because of... I said, no, no, you bring people to the table and you show them how they will make more money. That's right. it. Everybody <laughs> wants to make money, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so for me, my parents, I went to Kano, um, and I went alone. You know, everybody was scared to people that I did not even know. It was just people who reached out and said, hey, we want to support you, blah, 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 blah. Um and I spent Christmas, my first Christmas in 18 years, I actually spent it in Kano. Um, and these were people who went above and beyond, right? The couple of days that I spent in Kano, they planned everything out. For Christmas, they, they actually even found a church that I would attend because they knew I was Christian. I did, it was, it, the, the, the reception was impeccable. Um, so I had, I, I sat down with leaders from about nine, you know, youth leaders from nine states. And during the Q&A, one of them said, well, you know, um, we like what you're saying, 
Um, but I'm still not convinced. Yeah. Um, and then he asked me a question about security. Yeah. And I said, well, it was a two-part question. I said, so here's the thing. The problem is we classify ourselves as Igbo and Hausa and Yoruba and this and that and that. Outside of this country, all people know me as is Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I said the one thing that I learned from being out here was um, I found in trying to and I'll come back to the answer. I don't I don't forget in trying to, you know, um, define my blackness. Right. I also found black excellence. Right. I found this bigger family, global family of people who share the same challenges that I do um, that sort of makes me gravitate towards them wherever I am in spaces that are not welcoming, right? So for me, if you ask me to define myself, I'll tell you I'm Black, then I'm African, then I'm Nigerian before I am Igbo. And why why that's important is this. As a Nigerian, I should be able to feel at home anywhere in the country, I should be able to go to Cross River and be and feel like the Cross River man or eat with him and be family with him. I should be able to do that in Jigawa. I should be able to do that anywhere. Because outside the country, if if a racist cop is trying to shoot me, he's not asking me if I'm Nigerian or if I'm African American. All mm-hmm. he sees is a black man. Mm-hmm. Right? So we need to change our mindset of how we view ourselves to become nationalistic first before individualistic. Hmm. And I said, that's the problem. Now, if to every Nigerian, we are all Nigerians first, it does. It wouldn't matter who becomes the president because when you're there, you're looking out for all Nigerians and understanding that this is home. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going there as an Igbo president, then, you know, the, the, the thought process of every other person is, oh, he's just going to fix things in Igbo land mm-hmm. um, and go. And so the next person who comes to his house will do things for his own brother too because when he leaves, the next person may not take care of them. So mm-hmm. I said, that's, that's how we need to start to think about ourselves first. If I cannot see you as my brother, then we don't have a nation. Hmm. And for some of them, from at least the person who asked the question is like, you know, that has convinced me because, you know, one of the problems they've had in the North with Christians um, ends up breaking down into, oh, he's Igbo and I'm Hausa. Or, you know, you can't trust the Igbo man because of da 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 da. Or the Igbos will tell you, well, the Hausas um, have more allegiance to their Allah, to their religion or to their people than any other person, mm-hmm. right? And what that did was it opened a lot of doors. In fact, one of them ended up taking me to his grandfather, who is an Emir in Jigawa. I ended up going to the palace of, you know, the Emir of Kano, uh, Sanusi, Lamido Sanusi. Um, so it, it broke down walls. And for them, they are like, you know what? Um, if you become president, right, we know that as young people, we have, you know, um, a priority in mm-hmm. getting, you know, political positions than mm-hmm. just being 
personal assistant to this right, 60-year-old yes. man or da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was a camaraderie that built from that. And that's from helping people break down the walls of division that we use to separate ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, saying I'm Igbo, I'm Yoruba. No, no, no. But it's understanding that collectively <clears throat> the things that bind us together um, should be stronger than what separates us. Uh, I feel like I sort of t- tailed off. Did I answer no, the question? That, what was the question no, but, but you, didn't, you didn't say, so are you going to run again? Can we oh, okay. count on seeing you come, what is it, 2024? 2023. Well, 23. so I learned a lot from this experience. I mean, I think from at some point you already know, okay, you're not going to win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it became, I, I tell people, I, I pretty much got a PhD in Nigerian politics. Um, so will I do it again? Yes, but with conditions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've learned so much. I, I believe, I think, in fact, if you ask me, I, I, I think I have you know, a better understanding than many people who are back home than have been in politics for a while Mm. um, because I came at it from a different perspective, right? That's one. Two, I think I also spend the least amount of money of all the candidates um, because as an Igbo man, the moment you realize that, you know, this money is not going to become what you want, then you start to manage what you have, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, we ended up being the most digital <laughs> presidential campaign. We had no no billboards. Um, we did no rallies. Um, like pretty much, you know, spent no money on what other people were wasting a lot of money on. Was yeah. Um, so was that an intention? Was that an intention from the beginning of the <clears throat> campaign? Was that a strength of the campaign was that a weakness because i'm also because something that i've been Mm -hmm. thinking of is there are a lot of um theories about why nigeria is what it is today and you've touched on a lot of things and a lot of times with campaigns it's always interesting to see how people translate those opinions Mm -hmm. about nigeria into like tangible you know, practical policies and like changes. Right. Um, and when you were saying earlier about, you know, Nigerians questioning your identity and, you know, sometimes some people, we just get distracted by the wrong things and we start asking mm-hmm. the wrong questions. I think a lot of times for people, it's not, there's the, criticism about whether you know somebody is in the diaspora if they truly understand what's happening on ground but i think mm-hmm. for some people there is a concern of not knowing this the interiority of those systems and how yeah. and you know when you said you didn't do the campaigns and the rallies it does i know you said you went to Kano, but i think there is something valid about tell you, why. you know the concern of you those, know somebody yeah. doing something from the diaspora and not being on the ground and seeing so my campaign manager is someone who lives at home, by the okay. way. We uh-huh. run political campaigns, yeah? Okay. Um, now, the decision not to do, you know, any rallies and stuff came much later. Okay. Um, and that's because, in fact, this conversation is about to get a little bit more interesting um, because we haven't actually talked about my real, real, real experience, mm-hmm. which I'll go into a little bit. Okay. Um, so I sat down with um, the party leadership in one of the states, southeastern state, I don't want to mention which one, 
Um, and this was when we were planning on our rally. We said, okay, we don't have money to do rallies in every state, but maybe if we do one in each geopolitical zone, there's six of them, right? But we wanted to start in Southeast because mm. that's my base, right? Mm-hmm. So we sat down with these guys and they... By the end of the conversation, I told my father, my brother, and my campaign manager, we're not doing any of this. And here's why. Um, he said he was um, a former student government president and, you know, has contacts for all the student government presidents and all the high institutions, blah, 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 in the state, and they can get 50,000 people that to show up and da, 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 da. But here's a catch, though. Um, when I knew we were in for one chance, if you know what one <laughs> chance is, <laughs> he said, um, the events will run from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. I said, wait, what? He goes, yeah. I said, no. I, I mean, I would think maybe two or three hours, right? Because mm-hmm. after three hours, you lose people. He goes, no. Right. People don't leave. Oh, it's political rally. I said, what do you mean people don't leave? He says, because everybody is waiting for what they get at the end. So everybody mm. stays till the end. I said, what do you mean? So, yeah, because we have to pay each person at least a thousand naira. Wow. I said, okay, so if we're paying 50,000 people a thousand naira each at least to stay. Mm. That's a minimum 50 million naira. He goes, yeah. And then with logistics and everything, about 100 million. I said, so for one event, you're looking at at least 100 million naira. He goes, yeah. I said, okay. Now, you just told me that this 50,000 people are here because of the money they get at the end. Yeah. Not because of me. Mm-hmm. I said, ah. So which means that if the next day another politician comes mm-hmm. to have a rally, right. right, the same people show up and collect money and go. He goes, yeah. So at the end of the day, I've possibly spent a hundred million to get two or three people to hear what I have to say. That's if, if at all. He goes, well, that's not the right way to look at it. I'm like, I mean, I, I'm an engineer, you know, I can mm. think critically. That's what you're telling me. And at that point, I'm like, not, not going to happen. Because mm-hmm. that's what it is. Politics in Nigeria is about money, mm-hmm. right? Now, Part of, I mean, if they had even give, made me feel like, you know, I had people on my side. I say, you sat down and you spent about half an hour talking about how all of these people respect you and how blah, 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 blah. I'm like, can't you leverage on that cloud to, you know, get young people to see reason why this is for us. We're fighting for our lives. It's for our futures. It's for our children. Right. He goes, uh, yeah, but they'll still want money. I'm like, so you you don't have any power at all. Is the money Essentially, that people the money want? Has mm-hmm. the power. Yeah, exactly. He goes, no. So, so what we realize is even the people, my party in that state. Were most from another party. Hmm. They do that for every politician that they can lay a hold of, lay their hands on. Right. So it's yeah, we get what we can from you. We get what we can from here, from here, from here, from here. And at the end of the day, they all already know where they're going to cast their votes or Mm -hmm. maybe don't and just don't show up. Right. But at least um, they've made some money. Of course. Yeah. 
So at some point, we started saying, in fact, our message chain initially was, you know, um, be careful about the people who are offering you money. They will buy your votes now, and that's why they don't do anything for four years for, for you because they've already paid you for it. Mm-hmm. We have to change our message to say, you know what? Collect as much money as you can from them. But when you go to vote, do the right thing for you and your families. Because oh. you cannot, yeah, you can't fight against that system. Hmm. It's, in, it's ingrained. Now, that's one, right? So this is on the outside. Now, let's talk about the campaign and the party as a whole. Um, so I'm writing a book, which I hate to write. So hopefully at some point it will come out. <laughs> um, but what people, what a lot of people did not know was all of the roilings that was going on inside. I tell people the two most detrimental institutions to progress in Nigeria, party politics and educated young Nigerians. Mm, Come on, I hear that last part. Yes, (laughs) I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me explain, right? So um, my party eventually... Um, withdrew support from me. Hmm. They ended up endorsing, they endorsed Buhari in January and endorsed Atiku in February. Stop. I kid you not, right? Um, And that's because it was much later, you know, we started to get all the full details. So part of the reason why I was nominated as their flag bearer was well, who is this small boy from America that mm-hmm. said he's coming to run for office in Nigeria? Mm-hmm. He, he must have money. Oh, wait, he's, he's, uh, he's an engineer. He has money. So let's get what we can from him. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, one of the executives told my brother later that, well, usually when people come from America to run or when people come from outside to run, um, they're really just coming to raise money. You know, they get the candidacy and they go out, they raise money and that's it. So that I'll have to sign an MOU with them that says that whatever money I raise, I'll split with them 60-40. And I'm like, wait, I thought we were supposed to be trying to win an election in this election. Or is it just me here? <laughs> um, so it was very scandalous. At December 23rd, it was, in fact, that was the first time I actually journaled, December 23rd. Um, we had a meeting, and they were furious at me that it's two days to Christmas, and I haven't bought them any gifts. I didn't buy them any cars. I didn't buy them racks of rice, um, granite oil, chicken, nothing. Other candidates have doing the same for their party executives, and nothing. They have gotten nothing from me. They don't understand this American type of politics I'm coming to do here. Mm. Um, so they were giving me a week till the 31st to bring them money. Otherwise, they were going to withdraw support. I'm like, you have mm. to be kidding me, right? They're like, yeah. I mean, at this point, um, I would either join them to go and endorse another candidate that can <laughs> pay money mm. um, or... They'll go do it alone. I said, well, I mean, I told you guys from the onset that I am running till the end. 
And um, even if I decide to drop out, I will not be endorsing Atiku nor Buhari. Mm-hmm. Because I have gone on air. For one, I don't believe either of them should be running the nation. But to make it worse, I have gone on air. Al Jazeera, in a national platform, to talk about the reasons why they are both unqualified. What do right. you think that makes me? I said, I came out in June. The party was registered in August. We're both young, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, eight months to an election is an uphill task. I mean, we all knew that we're almost technically fighting a lost battle. But what this was supposed to be was also an opportunity to learn everything we can so that we have four years to prepare for the next one. Mm-hmm. If you go and endorse somebody, you have become that party. If you endorse Atiku, you become PDP or you become APC. And I will not be doing that with you. And they were furious. So 31st comes, I said, I, I don't have any money to give to you guys to run around and whatever. No, the little that I have, I'm putting it into my campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so December, uh, January 19th, they... Um, they sent me a letter that they were withdrawing support. Fortunately, though, um, with INEC, once they released the final list of names, there's nothing you can do about it. You will be on the ballot. Right, so that was, yeah. that was what saved me, um, which is why I thought Obi is a question have dropped out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because her name was going to be there either way, because she went through the same thing as well with her party. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. just bald out over. Um, so party pol- Oh, here's the other one. Kicker. My VP. And that's the question a lot of people. Have. My own vice president asked me, so who am I voting for? Atiku or Buhari? Wow. Okay. Well, well, you know, at, at this point, you know, I, I don't even, I'm just, I'm dumbfounded. <laughs> I'm a little dumbfounded. And I really, really wish that we had like more time to maybe do a part two of this conversation. Mm. But you are writing this book, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. You're going to write this book? Tell us all the secrets. So everyone, go find Chike on his social media, like platforms, email him. Find Startup 52, <laughs> bombard him with your questions, um, yeah. make sure he writes this book so we can get all this juicy information. Because <laughs> I'm just like, I wish we had so much time. We've already gone past like the one hour mark mm-hmm. um, oh, wow. and we don't want it to be, I know, too long for our listeners. But Chike, thank you so much yeah. for being on this episode. It's been very insightful and mm-hmm. um, maybe once you write that book, we'll... Put it on a book club list, you know. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm, for people mm-hmm. to to listen to. But how can people reach out to you if they have questions or if they're you know willing to partner with you as maybe you go into twenty twenty three? Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually Chike OK on all the social media platforms. Uh, first and last name C H I K E U K A E G B U on Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you can easily find me. Um, startup52 is startup52.com. Um, or you can also hit me up on my website, chikeokebu.com. So there's so many ways you can find me. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on today's episode. Yes. Um, and thanks for coming out of, you know, <laughs> retirement. <laughs> 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 Hibernation. Hopefully. Hibernation. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. 
hopefully there will be more, you know, interviews where people can listen to, you know, your experience and just kind of have an idea and be encouraged and inspired by, you know, what you've done. It's definitely taken a lot of guts to, um, you know, be the youngest person to, you know, run for presidential elections in Nigeria, which we all know is kind of crazy. So young people, don't give up hope. You're not too young to run. (laughs) We can do it. Um, and if you have any questions, Chike is the man for you. Mm-hmm. So awesome. with that being said, thank you guys for listening to today's episode. We yes. will catch you guys next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.